Good morning, Living Waters Fellowship. We're glad to be together again this Sunday morning. And uh, we have been in conversation and uh, looks like God willing within just a couple of weeks. We're going to be right back together here in uh, our worship center and, and ready to uh, be together and worship God together. I look forward to that time. Just recently in our congregation had several things transpire. Uh, we had one of our dear congregates that passed away during this time when we weren't allowed to be together. And then some dear friends of some of our congregants that had COVID-19 and uh, their husband passed away. And uh, it's just a, a difficult time. And then um, Sarah uh, Cranston, the Cranstons, their grandson was involved in a motorcycle accident and had to be in isolation, couldn't, mother couldn't go and be a part of that. But uh, God has opened the door and not only is mother there, but grandmother's there. So we're excited. God is, even in the middle of hurtful times, God is proving himself good, which is what I want to talk to us about this morning. We live in a hurting world. We live in a world of hurting people. And it seems that sometimes finding someone who cares is getting harder and harder. Everyone lives in this world is so me-focused, it seems, that we forget every day there are hurting people all around us. Everywhere you turn, there are unanswered prayers or unfulfilled dreams or unwanted circumstances and even seemingly unloved people, though we know that's not true because God loves you today. Have you ever asked yourself the question or at least considered the question, why is God allowing this? Why did this have to happen to me? Or God, where are you? I don't see your working in my life. As a pastor, I'm asked questions for which there is no human answer at times except I don't, I don't know. And it sounds like a cop-out, but it's not a cop-out. Most of these are not theological questions. Most of them are not biblical questions. Most of them are practical, everyday life questions. And if I ever have to look you in the face and say, I don't know, please understand I'm not copying out. I really don't know why God allows some things. I don't know why God uh, works the way that he works. But I do know we live in a hurting world. And I do know, biblically, there are several reasons, and I'm not going to go into an all-inclusive list this morning, but let me just say there are several reasons why people suffer. First of all, we suffer because of the nature of sin and the curse. We live in a fallen world, and this world is broken, and it's fallen. Thank God someday it's going to be fully redeemed, and uh, it's going to be a new world to live in on that day. But right now, it's touched by the curse, it's touched by the nature of sin, and it's touched by death. We suffer, secondly sometimes, so that God can uh, mold and improve our character, so that our character can be molded and fashioned. Sometimes God chastens us and leads us to a place of spiritual 
need in our lives that we understand we need to draw closer to him. Thirdly, we suffer sometimes, and I don't, this is the one I really struggle with, but sometimes we suffer because God is showcasing us to Satan, as he did in the situation with Job. You know, it's amazing the number of people who don't even believe in God, or at least don't acknowledge their belief in God, and yet, when things go wrong in their world, they, they blame him. Rather than blaming the devil or blaming their own life choices or blaming sin, blaming some of these situations, there are those who never mention God in any form other than maybe in a slang word here and there. But when they face suffering, why is God doing this to me? Now, I'm not going to try this morning in the time that we have to go into all the reasons why we suffer. I can't unravel all the uncertainties of life or probe all the questions or quiet all the questions, but I, I, I want to at least give you three principles and share these things with you that may be helpful in your time of suffering. And that's what I want to do this morning, just be an encouragement to you. Number one, and I hope this is encouraging to you, God is near even when he seems far away. God is near. There are times in our lives when we feel isolated from God. There may be times when we feel like there's a sense of abandonment or loneliness that grips us in our times of suffering and we feel isolated. In this time of isolation, i got to tell you, every true believer probably has felt a measure of that because the body of Christ was built to be together. And we've not been allowed to do that much. Many times, our first response to pain is to draw into a shell. And then we become more isolated. We wrestle with why we feel so isolated But we build walls around ourselves to insulate us or isolate us from any more suffering or pain. And we don't even let the God who really loves us penetrate that wall. We don't let the God who wants to love us through his people penetrate that wall. This may sound overly practical. It may sound a little preachy. But here it goes. One of the first problems that we face when we encounter suffering in our lives, what do we do? I don't think I'll go to church this morning. I don't think I want to be around anybody. Guys, God has built a system of support through his body, through his church, to love on you and to help you through those times of suffering. Remember Job? He lost everything, his children, his wealth, his servants, his reputation, his friends, and his own health. Listen to the words of this pathetic man, Job, in Job 23. He says, even today, my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come, speaking of God, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would get an answer from him and understand what he would say to me. Verse 8 says, look, I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward, and I cannot perceive him. 
When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Oh, the anguish of isolation from God. But later on in the book of Job, in chapter 40, when God begins to speak, listen to what he says. Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? And for the next chapter, God begins asking the questions. And Job simply responds, and I, and I paraphrase his comment, You're right, Lord. You're right. My bad. My bad. All right, all right. You, you're right. I, who am I to question you? You got your point across. I just temporarily lost my mind, but in truth, I know that you love me. And I know that I have it better than I could possibly deserve. Now, as Christians, we have a right to claim the promises of God's presence in our life with us at all times. He's incapable of leaving us or forsaking us because Jesus promised he wouldn't leave us. Even if father and mother cast us out, threw us aside, he would never cast us out. We feel isolated from him. Or sometimes we fail to recognize him. A few Sundays ago, I preached to you from Luke chapter 24 and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Coming from Jerusalem, very upset, very depressed because they had just witnessed the crucifixion of their Lord. They felt total isolation because of death. That's another problem. That's another cause of suffering. And they even seemed to have given up hope of resurrection, even though they had heard about the possibility of resurrection. They decided to head home, maybe even back to their old way of life. But as they were walking, something marvelous happened. In that chapter, in Luke 24, Jesus did several things. In verse 17, he recognized their sadness. He said, why is your countenance fallen? What kind of conversation is that you have as you walk with one another and are sad? He saw their sadness. And they said, haven't you heard about these things? Secondly, in verse 19, he confronted their concerns. He said, no, tell me about it. What things? Can I tell you something? Even when you feel isolated from the Lord, talk to him. Talk to him. He's listening because he loves you. In verse 29, he was going to leave them and move on. But they begged him to stay. They constrained him. He wanted to be welcomed into their problem, into their circumstance. And God doesn't force his presence into our situations. He waits for us to ask or at least welcome him. There's another story that Luke records of a time when the disciples were in a boat on a stormy sea and Jesus comes walking on the water. And This interesting phrase in that passage, Jesus is walking on the water, the disciples are in a boat in a storm, they're in a panic mode. And Luke records this phrase, and he would have passed by them. Wow. When I read that, I, I'm like, why would he have just walked on past? 
Doesn't he see the storm? Doesn't he see the panic mode? He does. But he walked and would have walked past them, but they called out to him. I wondered for a long time. Jesus doesn't force his way into our isolation. He doesn't force his way into our suffering. He doesn't force his way into our storms. But he does stand ready to come quickly if we'll just ask him. Back to the two on the road to Emmaus. Their pain had blinded them to his presence. They had forgotten. But when he eventually made his presence known to them, they said, oh man, our hearts burned within us. You may feel alone, but God is with you if you're a Christian. And if you're not saved, God's ready to save you and rescue you. When we're tempted to ask God, why? We're failing to recognize his presence. God is near, even when he seems to be far away. Secondly, God is on time, even when he seems to be late. Hmm. Have you ever gotten a hurry to get an answer? God, you've got to do this, and you've got to do it now. Don't ever tell God he's got to do it now, or he'll prove to you that you can wait. Many times the answer comes only when we're waiting. Only when we're standing still. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. God is on time even when he seems to be late, but he's not on our schedule. In John chapter 11, very interesting story, records the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, he cried. But we read of this family that Jesus desperately loved them. And they were very special to him. He, was, he cared deeply for this family. He spent a lot of time with them. Their brother, Lazarus, who was very possibly... Dennis Swanberg says, one of Jesus' best friends in this world. He had gotten sick, and Mary and Martha sent an urgent message to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And they thought Christ would surely respond and come very quickly because they knew how much he loved Lazarus. But Jesus kind of delayed his coming, kind of waited And when he did finally get there, Lazarus had already died. As a matter of fact, they'd already had the funeral. He'd already been buried. And out of disappointment, out of disgust or frustration, Mary looks at or Martha looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been on time, my brother would not have died. Maybe with a little attitude, she said. If you'd have been here, if you hadn't taken so long, if you hadn't taken your time, God, you're too late. Can I tell you something? God doesn't inhabit time. Isaiah says he's the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He fills up, he dwells. That's his dwelling place. His address is eternity. Remember, In our times of panic, because we think God is late, remember that His purpose is greater than ours. One reason it's hard to understand God's work in our lives 
And what he allows is because everything he sees is from an eternal perspective, while we're limited to an earthly perspective. God sees the divine purpose for everything. We only see the human purpose. His purpose is greater than ours, and his power is greater than ours. He can change situations that seem hopelessly beyond our ability to believe that he could possibly repair. Lazarus is dead. He's laid in the tomb. He's been there now until they said he probably has begun to decay, or literally they said he stinks. He smells. God doesn't live on our schedule because God is not of our sphere. Isaiah 57, 15 says he's the high. He's the lofty one who inhabits eternity. Someone said God's clock keeps perfect time. The truth is God lives in eternity. He doesn't have a clock. He doesn't live on a schedule like you and I. God sees the beginning and the end all the same. He knows everything that you're facing. He may appear to be late according to your plans, but trust Him. He doesn't understand this concept of the nick of time. <laughs> we live by the nick of time. Just in the nick of time, God did this. No, in his fixed and definite time, in the time of his purpose, in the time of his fulfillment, God works. When things come to pass, they come to pass in his time, which is not ours. God is on time. When we're tempted to question his timing, we're forgetting that he lives and fills up eternity. Thirdly, God is faithful even when we can't figure him out. Hmm. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, said there is no searching of his understanding. You can try, but you won't comprehend. You won't figure God out. This is what you need to understand about God. He's faithful. He's God, even when we can't figure him out. In Lamentations, now just the book, just the title of the book, the name, suggests that it's not a real great book. It's not going to be exciting to read. It's not going to be fun. It's not filled with laughter. It's not filled with great joy. It's called the book of lamentations for a reason. Because it is the lamenting of a brokenhearted prophet when he sees the renation of God's people and their continual rebellion against God. Jeremiah wrote the book of lamentations. And it is exactly that. 
a book of weeping, a book of lamenting for what he had seen happen to the people of God. But in the middle of that, some of the most uplifting, encouraging scripture can be found. You would think these verses should find their way into one of David's uplifting and encouraging psalms. You would think these were almost New Testament verses written by the quill of the Apostle Paul when he put ink to page. No. This is the lamenter. This is the weeper. This is the prophet with a broken heart. But let me read these words to you found in chapter 3. He said, Through the Lord's mercies, verse 22, we are not consumed because His compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Let me just give you the next verse to kind of support the last point. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wow. God is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, he loads us up. When you're rushing around the house, trying to get it all together before you get out the door, God said it's undisturbed on his throne, providing for you new mercies for that day. He's already planned, he's already built mercies into your day in the morning. Can't figure him out? No. No, I can't figure him out. His ways are above my ways. There's no searching of his understanding. I can't figure him out, but I can trust him because I know tomorrow morning when I get up and I'm rushing around trying to get ready to get out the door and go to work. He's already planning mercies for that day, brand new. This means our need for his mercy is new every morning, but so is his provision of mercy. The Lord's faithfulness is always great. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. What are you struggling with? Temptation? Read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God's faithful in your time of temptation. Struggling with trials? Read 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. God is faithful in your time of trial. Are you suffering? Read 1 Peter 4, 19. God is faithful in our suffering. 
Whatever you're facing, He's facing it with you through His Word and by His faithfulness. And then in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him. You ever been tempted to say, Lord, what are you doing? I mean, what's going on? I think if God revealed His plan, I think, if we force him to reveal his plan, it's only going to be more confusing. Because you've got to understand, God is weaving all things into the beautiful tapestry of his will. And all things may include not only what he's doing in my life today, but he might also be weaving how my life is going to intersect and interweave with your life. And what I'm going through today may play a vital role in what you're going to go through tomorrow. And God's weaving it all together. That's why he doesn't say everything's good that comes your way. Not everything is good. He said all things are woven together or work together for good. God's working out his purpose. He's working out his design. He's working out his desire. Just hold on. Hold on. He's faithful even when we can't figure him out. God is always on time even when we think he's late. God always is near even when it seems like he's far away. And God is always faithful even when we can't figure him out. I had a friend, Richard Frazier, church I pastored in Cincinnati, Ohio. And on a Saturday morning, we, were, we had been studying through the course of a series of sermons and messages the concept of spiritual gifts, the biblical concept of spiritual gifting. And we met on a Saturday morning for breakfast with a, a small group, maybe 20 people, and in that group, following breakfast, we took spiritual gifts tests. <laughs> You'd have to know Richard, he was very dry with his sense of humor. And when we finished taking the spiritual gifts test, I was just sitting up moderating the whole thing and asking various people throughout share their spiritual gift. What did they find out? What did they discover that might be different? Richard, with his dry sense of humor and a crooked smile, he looked up. He said, Pastor, my spiritual gift is hindsight. <laughs> Most of us have that one, don't we? Spiritual gift of hindsight, it's 2020 vision. When we're looking back and we've come through a trial, we've come through a test, we've come through a, torm, a storm or a period of suffering. We look back and we say, oh, God, now I get it. Now I understand. That worked to the benefit of my child who didn't know the Lord, but you brought them to salvation through my time of suffering. Oh, you answered a long prayer that I had prayed for many years for a friend of mine through my trial. You allowed me to be a witness 
of victory through my time of temptation to a friend who's struggling with the very same temptation. We can't figure them out. Now, I can guarantee you this. It probably won't be important once we get to heaven. But if it still is to us, I think God will take the time to just kind of expose that span of eternity and say, this is why you went through this. Because your going through this affected this person and this situation and this outcome. And all of a sudden, it'll be so clear. God knew what he was doing all the time. So, you say, preacher, that doesn't really help me right now. I'm hurting. I know. We live in a hurting world. Life hurts. But when life hurts, please find solace in this. When life hurts, God really cares. One songwriter penned the words, When we can't see his hand, we can trust his heart. And I challenge you this morning, I encourage you this morning, trust the heart of your heavenly Father. Whatever's coming to you comes sifted through the hands of a loving God. He's allowing you to face what you're facing because he loves you and he has a grand purpose for your life. Hold steady. Get back with the body as quick as you can. I know isolation is terrible. Just a couple weeks. Just hold on. We're going to be back together. We're going to sing songs of praise and celebration. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to be in his house. And even more importantly, we're going to be with his body in his presence. I'm looking forward to that day, and it won't be long. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for Living Water Fellowship today. I pray that on an individual basis for each congregant that knows what they're facing and they're feeling and they're, they're going through. I, I just ask for special strength and encouragement for them today. I pray the power of God would rest upon them. I pray the Holy Spirit would visit them in a real recognizable way in their lives, in their homes. Just encourage them. Make them aware that you're keeping your promise to never leave them and never forsake them. And then, Lord, I pray for those outside of Living Water Fellowship who may reap the benefit of this time that we've spent together around your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would visit them if they're here or listening and they're not saved. I pray that your Holy Spirit will draw them during this time, that you would move upon their heart and convince them of the reality of your love and your, your salvation and then, Lord, for those who are saved walking through a valley, I pray the, the God of the valley, the lily of the valley, would be as sweet and near to them as you've ever been. Make them aware of all of your love in a personal way to each of them today. We love you, God. We thank you so much for loving us and for holding us steady in the times of our suffering, even when life hurts. You're still a good, good father, and we praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.
Living Water Fellowship, we love you. We'll be in touch soon. We'll be together soon. God bless you.